0: Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate, bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives, sharing their expertise and life stories, making a difference one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair.
1: Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Yes, it's us. For those of you who are regular listeners, you might have noticed we changed our music intro and uh, have a new voiceover from our wonderful producer, Eric Ryder. Uh, but it is us. We're here and uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, John Lennon wrote that life can bring you to your knees and uh, certainly uh, can. I've certainly been there a few times myself. But psychologists say it's not what happens to us, it's about resilience, it's about our ability to bounce back. And if you've been knocked down so many times that you feel you're all out of that ability to bounce back, my first guest, Linda Graham, says rebuilding resilience is truly possible, and she'll share how. Ending today's show, it was a year ago last week that the Me Too movement blasted social media and is still going strong. Maybe stronger than ever right now, women who've stayed silent for years are finding their voice. But what struck me about this movement that's going on right now is, uh, and and the outpouring of women crying, Me Too, and uh, it's about time and stand up and speak out. What really struck me is how many women have spent a lifetime afraid to speak up, afraid to stand up for themselves. And it's not just about sexual harassment. It's about so many aspects of their lives, including work and home, uh, dealing with difficult people, having hard conversations, going along to get along. Well, Alexia Vernon will discuss Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility and Influence in the World, She was branded a Moxie Maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement. And uh, she said she wasn't born with Moxie herself, but she learned how to do it and is out there now sharing with the world. But first, of course, uh, we have Linda Graham joining us, and I'm very pleased to introduce her to you. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She integrates modern neuroscience, mindfulness practices and relational psychology in her International Trainings on Resilience and Well-Being. She's the author of Bouncing Back, which was a winner of the 2013 Books for a Better Life Award. And today we're talking about her latest book, Resilience, uh, Powerful Practices for Bouncing Back from Disappointment, Difficulty, and Even Disaster. Linda Graham, welcome.
2: Thank you, Vicki. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.
1: I think it's very timely, <laughs> uh, yes. and I think you have some really awesome information uh, to share. And for those who are familiar with your work, um, I wonder if you can, uh, I just mentioned the book Bouncing Back. Is, is this new one, Resilience, a companion to that, I follow-up to that, and, or, or are they totally standalone books? So the
2: new book, Resilience, really is an expansion of Bouncing Back. It's a much more streamlined program, almost a resilience boot camp training, that takes people from the most basic, simple tools we can use of bringing calm to our nervous system all the way through coping with real tragedies, real traumas, real disasters, so that people build their skills step-by-step just the way the brain builds its skills, little and often from the bottom up, inside out. So that by the time the people go through the program, they not only have really a pretty strong toolkit, but they have more trust in their capacity that they can be resilient, they can learn and use these tools, they can bounce back.
1: Mm. Interesting because um, you say we, we're not necessarily born with it, but it's, it's a learned practice. And traditionally, resilience was thought of as, as character traits,
2: We are born with the innate capacities in our brains to develop the skills that we need to be resilient. So it's true now that behavioral science is saying there are three factors that predict someone's resilience. The severity of the external stressors. So in other words, are we dealing with a fender bender? Are we dealing with causing an injury in a car accident? Are we dealing with causing the death of a child in a car accident? So the severity of the stressor is certainly part of whether we're going to be resilient or not. The strength of our external resources, what we can call on in terms of family and friends, financial support, medical and counseling support. And the third is our own internal resources. And those are the characteristics that have been traditionally thought of as resilience. Grit, determination, perseverance, hardiness, the will to endure. But even those capacities can be cultivated when we know how to harness the neuroplasticity of the brain, to use experiences, to create new circuitry in the brain, to create new habits, new responses, new behaviors, so that when we know how to use those tools, we can actually change the functioning of our brain so that we do better. We're more able to cope skillfully, flexibly, adaptively. And the book teaches ways to learn those tools in ways that are safe and efficient and effective,
1: you have a lot of exercises in here. I think it was over, it was over a hundred exercises in here that we can, uh, you know, may take a minute, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, um, to help us through this, um, to help us build more resilience. Mm-hmm.
2: So I tried to organize those exercises in a way that would be easy for a reader to use. So I'm looking at different levels of disruption to our resilience. There's what I call barely a wobble where you misplace your car keys in your wallet but you find them a minute later on the kitchen counter. That's every day for me. That's every day. (laughs) (laughs) So you're able to recenter yourself pretty quickly and then there's the more serious struggles and sorrows that really can knock us off our center at least temporarily. So if someone we know or ourselves loses a job or loses a home or loses a relationship or loses their health. And it can take more skills at a deeper level to bounce back from that. And then there's the case when there's too many troubles, tragedies, traumas all at once. If someone in the family gets a diagnosis of lung cancer while an aging parent has a stroke and then a burst pipe floods half the living room, sometimes we really can... um, get too overwhelmed to even find our resilience. So there are tools in the book to do that, to come back even from very, very difficult traumas. And then, if I can keep going here for a second. Yeah, please see. I, I also organize the tools by the five intelligences. So those are my terms. But somatic, somatic body-based intelligence of breath and touch and movement and visualization that allow us to bring our nervous system back to its range of resilience, back to a state of feeling calm and an equilibrium. And then the emotional intelligence, how we manage our emotions, especially the difficult ones that that can be distressing themselves, anger, fear, sadness, guilt. But also using positive emotions to bring the brain back out of its reactivity, its contraction, the negativity bias into a more open perspective, into more receptivity, the brain is more open to learning. And what's exciting about 20 years now of neuroscience research and positive psychology research is that the cultivation of those positive emotions, gratitude, kindness, compassion, joy, awe, delight, generosity, those practices, the direct measurable cause and effect outcome of those practices is resilience. So it's not a bypass. It's not a denial or a distraction. It's actually a way of working with the brain so that we can be more resilient. Right. And, and then I have relational intelligence within ourselves where we're able to develop the self-awareness and self-acceptance that is the foundation of our inner secure base of resilience to deal with the inner critic so that we're not derailed by a sense of being a failure or making a mistake. And then the relational intelligence with other people, because we do need to draw on the resources of other people, finding refuge in other people. We have a lot more strength within ourselves when we're supported in a safety net of family or community. So learning how to develop the relational skills that will allow us to call on people when times are dark. And then the reflective intelligence, our mindfulness, our awareness, That allows us to see clearly what's happening, to see clearly our reactions to what's happening, and then to be able to get a larger perspective where we can discern what our options are and make some wise choices. So there are tools offered in all of those intelligences as
1: well. Right. So I'd like to I'd like to just give an example of how simple these exercises are because when people hear the word exercises and tools <laughs> uh, sometimes they're like la, la 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 stick their fingers in their ears. Mm-hmm. Um but they're very simple and you say it's the it's the best way to retrain the brain by practicing some of these every day. Uh you know um so one of them is 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 just as simple as putting the hand on the heart. I wonder if you'd just walk as quickly through that
2: right so it's true the brain learns from experience and we're going to build our resilience only through new experiences so the hand on the heart is very very simple just putting a hand on your heart center so you can feel the warm touch of your hand on your heart and then beginning to breathe more slowly deeply into the heart center and then breathing in a sense of ease or kindness or goodness into the heart center, and then remembering a moment, just one moment, when you felt safe and loved and cherished with another human being. So it's not the whole relationship. It's just one moment with a partner, with a child, with a friend, with a therapist or coach. It could be a spiritual figure. It could be a pet. But you evoke a memory of this moment of feeling safe, and loved and cherished, and you let that feeling wash through the body. So what's happening there is when we breathe more deeply into the heart center, we're activating the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. It's the calming branch of the nervous system. When we breathe in a sense of ease or safety or trust into the heart center, it restores a coherent heart rate variability, which is what allows the heart to respond to a moment of stress more flexible. And then the touch of the hand on the heart and the remembering the moment of feeling safe and loved and cherished actually activates the release of oxytocin in the brain. And oxytocin is the brain's hormone of safety and trust. It's the brain's direct and immediate antidote to the stress hormone cortisol. So as soon as you're evoking the oxytocin, you get a feeling of safety and trust in the body again that brings you back into your range of resilience. The higher brain gets to stay online. You're not frantic or you're not running away. The higher brain gets to stay online and help you make a wise decision. Right. So I, te- I teach that tool and, and encourage people to practice it when there's not a moment of distress. You're just retraining the brain by doing that five times a day for a week. It becomes the new go-to pattern. And then when there is a stress, the hand automatically goes to the heart. You automatically start thinking of feeling safe and in love with someone. That technique is powerful enough to calm down a panic attack in less than a minute. So it's one of the first things that I teach
1: people. Right, right. And I think it's, it's something anybody can do, obviously. Um, but I think it's worth repeating that um, you, you, you say this, the, the breath, touch, movement work, this is the quickest and most effective way to um, get ourselves in that calm state as soon as possible. yeah. So uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Linda Graham. Her new book is called Resilience, Powerful Practices for Bouncing Back from Disappointment, Difficulty, and, yes, even Disaster. We will be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair.
3: Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and inflame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicky's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to conversationslive.net. That's conversationslive.net today.
2: Parkinson's disease affects as many as 1 million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800 457 In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org.
4: Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world, their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m.
3: At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. That's where we come in. Providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800 495 7617. That's 800 495 7617. Conversations live with Vicki St. Clair. Live well and live strong. Reach her great audience and advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net.
0: Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150.
1: And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Linda Graham. She's a psychotherapist. Her new book is called Resilience. And we're talking about uh, powerful practices that she's included in the book. Um, she wants you to bounce back from disappointment, difficulty, and even disaster. And certainly with some of these tools, if you apply them, um, I think that's very possible. And I just want to reemphasize, we did say in the beginning, Linda, that it is possible even if you have depleted every ounce of resilience that you feel you've got, it's possible to rebuild that back.
2: Absolutely, and and something that's very important when we feel depleted and overwhelmed is to find a way to take a refuge, to take a break from whatever it is we're having to deal with. And again, it's not a denial, it's not a bypass, it allows us to regroup and find our strength again to rejoin the battle. So whether that refuge is with a good friend or part of our family, whether it's just petting the cat or the dog, whether it's a warm cup of coffee, it's going for a walk in nature. It's remembering other moments when we have been resilient and have been able to cope. But sometimes finding that refuge is a key part of being able to bounce back and be resilient.
1: Mm. I remember, uh, I'm just going to share this story real quick. Many years ago, before I moved up here, um, I didn't know anybody at all when I moved to Seattle Um, And I was coming to basically an unknown apartment uh, and and an unknown life. Um, And so I had these doubts like, you know, one day I'd be feeling ecstatic about, oh, how exciting is this? And then the next day I'd be feeling, oh, my God, am I crazy? I'm giving up a really good, secure job and a nice home (laughs) and -hmm. a place I love. Um, But a a friend who's a psychiatrist said to me, well, what what are you afraid of? And I said, well, I remember a time when I was like, Uh, 16. And I went to this new college and I hated it. And I was really, I was really unhappy. And they're like, well, goodness me, how many years have gone by since then? And what have you accomplished since then? But all I could remember, this was one time in my life when I was really unhappy. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: So, So we know that the brain has a negativity bias, we are going to remember moments that felt dangerous or unsafe to us much more than we will remember the moments that were positive and safe. And so p- part of the point of these practices and tools is to help counter that negativity bias. It's also to help us perceive when we're reacting to something that is coming up from the past, and when memories come up from the past, very often they don't have a timestamp. We don't know that we're reacting to something from the past. It feels very real right now, and we have to do something real right now. Right. And so to know more about how our mind works can also help us be resilient. We're learning how to perceive what's happening, but also our reactions to what's happening, and then to be able to respond not only to what's happening, but to our reactions in ways that are more resilient.
1: Right. I love the the saying that you have in your work. Rick, Rick Hansen, your friend and colleague, says, uh, we have Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: And to understand that about ourselves as human beings and to understand that everyone is going to go through this in, w- in one way or another, when you're talking about moving to Seattle and there's an unknown, Anytime the brain perceives an unknown, it sets off a of signal anxiety. Uh-oh, I've never done this before. Is this a mistake? It, that's what happens in the human brain so that we pay attention and make some good decisions. Right. So when we learn how to perceive that signal anxiety as just a, something important is happening here, pay attention, and then we get to pay attention keeping our higher brain online, then we're able to be resilient. Just kind of knowing how our brain works.
1: Right, right. So I want to, we've only got a few minutes left here, but I want to quickly look at what you call mindful empathy and the three skills that create that attending attuning, and making sense, Mm -hmm. and and why it's so important that we we embrace mindful empathy.
2: Well, very often we are reacting to our own reactive emotions. (laughs) We know we feel guilty about something or that we feel jealous or angry, and we're reacting to that emotion. If we can attune to what we're feeling, we attend to it and attune to it and make sense of it, of course, makes all the sense in the world that I would be feeling this way right now and accepting those emotions as signals going off in ourselves, telling us, again, to pay attention. Something important is happening here. So when we get just a little bit of um, care and appreciation for ourselves, having to deal with these emotions and be able to hold them and, and attend to them but step back from them a little bit and say, oh, of course, that's why I'm feeling this way then again we're able to have a different response. Mindful empathy is also essential to manage our reactions to other people's emotions because other people around us might be scared or they might be angry. And to be able to, to perceive and manage our own reactions to their emotions, that's part of the mindful empathy. Understanding what they're feeling makes perfect sense. I may or may not be feeling the same thing. So it's all about keeping a kind of clarity and a kind of compassion for ourselves, whatever we are experiencing, so that we're not too revved up, we're not too shut down. We're actually able to stay present with what's happening and engage with it in a way where we have choices. One of the things I love to quote from my friend Janet Friedman, catch the moment, make a choice. And then from the environmental activist Julia Butterfly Hill, Every moment has a choice, and every choice has an impact. That's really the trajectory of resilience. So when we can catch the moment when we're reactive or someone around us is reactive and make a choice, and make a choice to respond from our higher brain, from our wiser heart, and make a choice that actually is going to be effective, then we'll have a positive impact.
1: Right, right. Um, You talk about deliberately cultivating uh, compassion, which we've we've touched on very slightly. I mean, there's a lot more in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. Gratitude, trust, and other positive emotions. And I wanted just to look at gratitude for a moment because um, I read this article in Success Magazine. It was actually last year, but I still had it. So I pulled it out and it said that whether you pray or if you're not religious, you meditate. They have the same effects pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. and they cr- can create more connection, less depression, less stress, improved forgiveness, uh, less anger, better self-control. um so um but they also they did really intense studies with neuroscientists and said that when prayer or meditation is focused on being more positive, open, and loving, we obviously have an increase in positive benefits. And they said the best results, whether you're praying or meditating, came when we, not when we asked for something, because people in prayer do often ask for something, but when we gave gratitude and when we gave thanks and when we acknowledged, uh, you know, the good things in our life. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if you'd just share a point of view on that.
2: Sure. So this is reminding me of something my friend Andy Dreiser says, I take it all seriously, but I hold it all lightly. And gratitude is something prayer and gratitude both. are are things that allow us to take things a little more lightly. So when we experience gratitude, we're grateful for the blessings we have, we're grateful that we're alive, gratitude practice opens us up to being part of the larger web of life. And as my teacher and, and mentor, James Barrett, says, you look for everything that is going more than all right. So even when you're dealing with difficult, even disastrous events, You're looking for everything that is going more than all right, and that creates a kind of safety, equilibrium in the nervous system again. You feel connected to other people that are supporting you in this web of life. So we begin to, I mean, I have found it's been useful for me to say, I'm alive, I'm alive. Whatever this is, I get to deal with this. And that's just the gratitude for the privilege, the opportunity of being able to face whatever it is in life that we're facing. Right. So gratitude is one of the most studied of the positive emotions. And yes, it has that long, long list of benefits, less depression, less anxiety, less, less loneliness. People who practice gratitude tend to live on average seven to nine years longer. So there's a lot of good evidence backing up doing these practices of positive emotions.
1: That is a significant difference, seven to nine years longer
2: that's right yeah and gratitude yeah. is one of the easiest things we can practice because if if you got out of bed this morning if you can walk if you can breathe then there are things that you can be grateful for yeah so it makes again gratitude works the way the brain works little and often so you can write down three things that you're grateful for every day do that for 30 days you'll create a resource in your brain
1: right by right. doing that right. I so appreciate you being with us. I love this book, so uh, full of information. And um, I love that it's so backed by science. Mm, (laughs) I I love we have all that verification there. And you say that because of that science, because of the power of neuroplasticity and the ability to create change, we have a responsibility to create change. So I think we'll end the show on that note. I think that's a positive note. And I thank you for being with us, Linda Graham. Oh, thank you, Vicki, for such a good question. And uh, I didn't mean to end the show. We're ending the segment here. But um, Linda, you can find out more about Linda Graham and her work at lindagraham-mft.net. Linda graham mftnet And the book, again, is called Resilience, Powerful Practices for Bouncing Back from Disappointment, Difficulty, and even Disaster. We will be right back. Please do stay with us. Total Woman Health Studio in Tacoma celebrates 42 years in the fitness business. We specialize in personal training success for women of
2: all fitness levels. We know the number one key to your workout success is consistency and the
5: solution to maintaining consistency is a Total Woman customized program. Imagine how you want to look and feel. Then come see how we're different. Call Total Woman
2: 253-565-7546 Mention you heard this on Conversations Live and receive one free month of membership. Call right now, 253-565-7546.
0: Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, BAFTA-nominated screenwriter and award-winning author James Swallow joins us from London. We'll share how he built a thriving career writing scripts for shows such as Star Trek and more than 35 tie-in novels. We'll also air part two of Vicky's conversation with publisher and New York Times bestselling author James Olson, who drove his 10th book to market without an agent. Would he do it again? Tune in Monday at New Pacific Time to find out and Fridays at 6 a.m. See more at ConversationsLive.net.
1: This is Martha Nurwak. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Anti-Icky Poo, the product that gets the stink out, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 14th, it's a harmonic energy-shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Potton from the Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle in the studio. They'll have their Acutonic forks and chimes Tibetan and bulls and bell, who a dig rattles ready to go to do remote treatments for you and or your animal friends. On Martha Nurwak's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Time. AM 1150.
0: Let's see if I, I guess that, <sighs> this just isn't working.
4: Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing, writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you, at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at vickystclair.com or call one 800 495 7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiSt.Claire.com. Oh, yeah, that could work. 180
0: over
2: 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk.
3: This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad
4: Council. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Inspiring, innovative, and a great place to advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net.
0: Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA.
1: And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicky Saint Clair, and my next guest is Alexia Vernon. She's the author of Step Into Your Moxie. She was branded a Moxie Maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement, and uh, she's a speaker and leadership coach. She delivers a transformational keynotes and corporate trainings for Fortune five hundred companies and other professional groups and organizations, including the United Nations. Uh, she is talking today with us about her new book. It's called uh, I Step Into Your Moxie, and the, it's all about empowering women to amplify their voice, visibility, and influence in the world. And I'm really excited to have Alexia join us today because I think we really need to hear this. Alexia, welcome.
5: Thank you very much for having me, Vicki.
1: So um, I want to just, you love the word moxie, I know that. So let, let's tell us, <laughs> tell us what that means, step into your moxie. What does it mean to you?
5: Yes, I use it in a complementary but distinct way to how you might use it if you looked it up simply in a dictionary. Because to me, stepping into your moxie is the ability to walk into any room or onto any stage and speak up for yourself and the ideas and issues that matter most to you.
1: And so, one of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, in the second half of our conversation, is is talking to children about. We've we've had. I, I'm just going to back up a second because at the start of the show, I said what shocked me about the Me Too movement and the Speak Up Now and Times Up, uh, you know, all of these hashtags that that have been floating around for the past year, um, and are, are getting stronger and stronger. But what really shocked me is how few women felt comfortable speaking up for themselves, for standing up for themselves. And yet, you know, these are really smart women. Uh, They're really bright. Many of them are very successful. And yet they have a hard time standing up for themselves. So I'm I'm just really pleased we've got you here to talk about this today. Um, And I want to just share, because I know you did not have, you say you kind of floated in and out of your moxie throughout your life, which I probably would say I have done too. (laughs) So talk to us about that. Well, it's interesting because in light of how you framed the beginning
5: of our conversation, I want to acknowledge that, yes, I have experienced what I would call an on-again, off-again relationship with my voice most of my life, meaning that there would be these times where I felt like I needed to play it safe and small, not disrupt the status quo. I was that kid who was always hustling for better grades to get approval from my teachers and my parents, even though All of them were very complimentary, there was never this feeling that they were putting on me that I wasn't enough. I was bloody good at simply doing that for myself. And yet there would be uh, these other times where I did speak up seemingly out of nowhere for myself or for other people. And I was one of those kids who actually did speak up at four years old, and I told my parents that another family member was sexually abusing me. And I know we're going to talk about that during the later half, but I think what's important for anybody who's listening is that moxie is always a continuum. It's not something that we have or we don't. But when we're able to have a little bit of self-awareness around what are the what do we need in a particular context for us to be able to do it effectively? And just as importantly, how do we give ourselves grace in the moments where we didn't raise a hand and speak up? That's what's going to help us reset and hopefully do a better job the very next go around.
1: Right, right. You talk about how many of us will posture and fake it. You know, there's that expression, fake it till you make it. i kind of done that myself in certain situations years ago, too. Um but inside, if we're not feeling it, um, it, it can it can actually make us even feel worse. I think I, I've certainly been in experiences like that myself. But but the bottom line about all of this, if we don't have the self-confidence self-conf- and we don't have self-esteem, um, we fail to squeeze, as you put it, the all of the juice out of our lives. Mm-hmm.
5: As you say Oftentimes, the worst communication that we do is not what comes out of our mouth. It's the story we create in our heads on a moment-to-moment basis when we're going into a situation and we might default to our inner critic that says, I'm not smart enough, I'm not experienced enough, I'm not networked enough, I'm not something enough. In other cases, the really horrible self-talk can come up after we have said something or after we as I like to say, self-flagellate, because we didn't (laughs) say something. And then we archive whatever just happened, rather than a footnote as like a key component of who we are in the story we replay over and over again about ourselves. And so while I've spent a lot of my career working with people in terms of how to amplify their communication quite tactically whether it's weeding out certain words and phrases adjusting mannerisms what i know is that if we don't learn how to play nicely with our own self-talk first and foremost any of the other stuff doesn't really stick
1: right and you say at any given time uh we've probably got one of these voices going round in our heads and (sighs) um the uh cop is one of them the critic is another of them and then the cheerleader and even the cheerleader can be negative so explain that to us you got it so I talked a little
5: bit about the critic a few moments ago and most of us are probably familiar with that voice the others once I say them I always see if I'm speaking to a live audience lots of nods because it resonates but we're just not cognizant of it so the cop as cops are wont to do, tends to create two categories for everything. So there's the right thing I could say in this situation, or there's the wrong thing that I could say in this situation. There is the right career path for me. Everything else is my karmic mismatch. And when we fall into that black or white thinking, of course, we miss the gray underutilized space between both of those poles. And for a lot of us, particularly those who are women, that can create that sense of paralysis where we don't speak up because we're terrified. If we don't get it 100% right, then it's 100% wrong. Mm, Right. Then the voice of the cheerleader, I refer to her as a frenemy. And what I mean by (laughs) that is... (laughs) At first, she sounds like she could be empowering. It's totally cool that you're only sleeping four to five hours a night because you're so busy. One day you'll retire, and then you can catch up on sleep. That kind of stuff. That's like you can go harder, you can go faster, put your own needs at the bottom of your to-do list to take care of everyone else. And when that's the self-talk we go around with, and a lot of really high-functioning folks, particularly in leadership, will do this, we tend to get tired. Sometimes we outright burn out. We get sick. Oftentimes we quit, we back away and we don't capitalize on our potential. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is bringing another voice into the mental menagerie, if you will, which is the voice of a coach. And unlike those other voices, which are always about constriction the voice of the coach is about expansion Mm. and she asks questions that bring you back into your moxie so for example if you had a lot of critic stuff going on when you default to the coach you're going to talk back to that voice by asking a question like what's a moment where you did succeed if you're falling into the cop stuff and you ask a coach question to snap out of it you might ask a question like What does a third or fourth or even a fifth option look like? And of course, for the cheerleader, the question might be something like, what can you let go of from your to do list or who can you ask for help?
1: Right, right. I love that you included more than one voice there because we never have just one voice. And so many uh, pieces of work that I've seen just they talk about the critic, but, you know, the cop. And the cheerleader, they definitely are in my head. Too. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, lots to talk about. So when we come back, we'll be talking again with Alexia Vernon. Uh, she is a speaker and leadership coach. She's the author of Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility and Influence in the World. We'll be right back.
0: Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, BAFTA-nominated screenwriter and award-winning author James Swallow joins us from London. We'll share how he built a thriving career writing scripts for shows such as Star Trek and more than 35 tie-in novels. We'll also air part two of Vicki's conversation with publisher and New York Times bestselling author James Olson, who drove his 10th book to market without an agent. Would he do it again? Tune in Monday at New Pacific Time to find out at Fridays at 6 a.m. See more at Conversationslive.net.
3: Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at PAWS a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, PAWS helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a PAWS foster care volunteer. For more information, visit PAWS.org or 425-787-2500. PAWS.org or 425-787-2500.
0: Hi, this is Eric Ryder, operations manager for Alternative Talk 1150. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2018 listener survey. Your response helps us shape KKW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150kknw.com.
2: 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk.
0: 150 over 90, and I had a stroke.
3: This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Innovative business leaders know to advertise here. Learn how affordable it is at conversationslive.net. Make it a great day. Keep your
0: dial on Alternative Talk 1150.
1: I love that. You're going to hear me roar. <laughs> We're talking. That's a perfect song. I know. I know. Uh, we're talking with Alexia Vernon. Uh, she is the author of Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility and Influence in the World. And if you're just joining us, um, we've been talking about how how silent women have been, many women have been, and how afraid to speak up and stand up for themselves on many, many issues. It, it could be just... Somebody cuts in front of you in a line, you know, and uh, it's a guy who cuts in front. And so you don't want to make a scene. And so you just stay quiet. Um, but we're, we're talking in this segment about um, a more serious uh, topic, really, because I want to go into Alexia. Uh, some of the movements that have been going on lately. Um, I know that you're a mother. You have a young daughter. um what is it you want for your daughter as she's growing up? Because I really believe that to get lasting change, we've got to raise a new generation that really believes in themselves.
5: I agree. And I feel like I could answer that question for the next six days and not be done. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah,
1: It's a big question.
5: <laughs> and I feel like for context, it's always important to know the age when, when we're talking about children. So for me, when I think about my daughter who is four and a half years old right now, which is notably the exact same age I was when I spoke up about my abuse. And that haunts me many times when I look at her. You know, never wanting her to have the same experience that I did. And yet also recognizing that we live in a world where girls and boys um, have to confront a lot of difficult issues from the time often that they're children. And so what I want from my daughter more than anything is for her to recognize that she has a voice and that she can use it and that people will listen to her when she uses it. I want her to understand the concept of consent, and we can talk more about that because my husband and I have spent a lot of time with her and she really does understand what that means. We role-play conversations all of the time about what to say when she feels uncomfortable, which is a core part of helping our young people be able to navigate through difficult situations if and when they do emerge. We also want her to understand that her body is her body. And if she makes a decision about her body at one moment, it doesn't mean that anybody else has automatic rights to her body in another moment. So, for example, while some people might say, Gosh, aren't you overdoing it a little bit? We will ask, Can I give you a hug right now? Can I give you a kiss right now? And we respect her right to say no because sometimes, you know, granted, she's just over the age of toddlerhood. Sometimes she'll be tantrumy and not want one. <laughs> right. um, other times, like a, any human being, you know, kids have their own feelings um, as well. She just might not be in the mood, and that's okay too. Right. And it's the last thing I really want for her. It's well, one of the last things that's coming uh, at top of mind is I want her to live in a world where she's not the only one who's having these conversations with her parents, but her friends are, and her male friends are having these conversations with her parent with their parents, so that boys and girls all understand how to ask for consent and how to give consent because it's both parts.
1: Right, right. And and the big thing, of course, is that, you know, generations ago, maybe men, some men, I'm not going to blanket all men because I certainly know some really good guys out there. But some guys grew up with the oh, well, if she says no, she doesn't really mean it. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, we've seen that uh, that's led to all kinds of Horrific situations, um, but I want to um, I want to ask you how we sit down um, if we're not comfortable ourselves, because I think that's the problem that a lot of people themselves are not comfortable in having these conversations with their girls and their boys. You know, I can certainly remember my dad making sure my brother understood you never even raise a hand to a woman, let alone hit her. But but the others conversation. I, I don't know that ever came up because I asked my brother, did it come up? And he said no. The beautiful thing about the year we live in, despite how you may feel <laughs>
5: around recent events, <laughs> right. is that there is a book for every single kind of conversation we might want to have with our children, whether they are in early childhood, elementary school, middle school, high school, college or beyond. And that is even as somebody who's been engaged in these issues for a very long time, my degree was in women's studies. I taught women's studies. I went to an all girls school. I was pretty active on every campus I went to, even if I felt out of voice. Sometimes I still spoke up about these issues. That was the one area I could be pretty competent in. And The beautiful thing about using a book and reading a story and then talking about it is that most of them actually have questions at the end that you can talk about with your young people. So, for example, there's a new book that came out very recently called C is for Consent. It's a hard um, book designed for young children. So when I read that with my daughter, I'll pause on particular pages and ask, why do you think?" know referring to let's say the child, why do you think the child felt scared right then? And put it back to her to articulate what's going on. Or when we get to the end of the book to ask a question like, if you are in that situation, what are your choices? And have her actually say what her choices are out loud. And then we'll take it one step further. We will actually role play if somebody were to touch you and we make it very clear this is not a stranger because we know the majority of situations are not with strangers. They are people who are friends, family, caretakers, and so forth. What could you do? And while you you never want to have to find out if your child will actually do this in a particular situation, to at least know in your home that your child, for example, ours is very clear saying, I could tell my teacher, or I could come home and tell you, but first I would say stop, and I would try to find a grown up. Right, right. gives but- you a little bit of a peace of mind that at least, you know, you can't control everything, nor should you as a parent, but you are doing what you can to empower your child because that's what I think it is. We, we work so hard to protect and our children need protection, but more than anything, they need empowerment.
1: Yes, and I was talking with my niece about this because she has two, uh, she's an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old, and she said that at the youngest daughter's school, they instigated this safe person policy where they give their teachers four people that they feel very safe with. And if a problem occurs, I mean, it can be any kind of problem. It, it could be bullying. Um, and they don't want to talk with it, about it with that specific teacher, they can, they can say, I want to talk to my safe person about it. And the school will bring their safe person in. I thought that was a really good idea. I like that a lot as well. Um, I wanted to share um, an article that was in the Washington Post because um, I I think this was also very telling, Alexia, and it's called Dear Dads, Your Daughters Told Me About Their Assaults. This is Why They Never Told You. And hundreds of women wrote into this columnist, Monica Hess, and told told her they'd been assaulted, but they'd never told anybody else. And the reason was they didn't want their dads to be upset. And in fact, she received an email from a reader who um, said she'd written something and about street harassment. And he said to her, I'm so glad uh, that you uh, wrote about this. And I'm so glad my college age daughter never experienced anything like that. Less than a day later, he wrote back to the columnist saying they would just talked. And she had, in fact, been harassed not once, but many, many times and this whole premise of this article is that women don't want to upset their dads. And
5: in many cases, their moms, too.
1: Yeah. You know,
5: for a long time, I never understood why I did speak up, particularly given that I was this shy, introverted kid. And then around the time of my daughter's birth, my mom and I were going through old memorabilia. And we stumbled upon this article that had been ripped from a parenting magazine in the 1980s. And the article was all about how do you talk to your children about what constitutes safe touch? And in hindsight, even more importantly, how do you help your children to be able to articulate what for many of us feels unspeakable if they are touched inappropriately? And there were all these notes on the article in my mom's handwriting indicating that she had had that kind of conversation with me and I understood what to say. And so there's not a doubt in my mind that I spoke up because my mom had practiced those conversations with me and given me the tools to be able to do so and let me know that it wouldn't be my fault if something happened, she wouldn't be disappointed and My mom is a saint in so many, so many ways, but I'll never forget the look on her face when I told her. You could see her working so hard not to telegraph her sadness because she wanted me to know it was okay. I wasn't disappointing her. I wasn't making her sad. And that is so important if we want not just to tell our children it's okay to come to us, but when they do come to us, how to be really responsible for what we're telegraphing, if not outwardly saying in our responses so that they continue to come to us.
1: Yes. Yeah. So much more. I I want to ask you and talk about your book so much more. And unfortunately, we're right out of time. So a final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with today, Alexia. That moxie is a muscle like any other
5: muscle. And if we don't use it, it atrophies. So when you find little ways to speak up in everyday situations, as well as the bigger ones, Don't look at it as just getting it right for that situation, but look at it as conditioning for Moxie to become more of a default state throughout the rest of your life.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Alexia Vernon. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. And uh, Alexia's book is called Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility and Influence in the World. It comes out next week, October 16th. So you can pre-order today. Um, Great book. And of course, she's coming up to Seattle October 25th. Uh, you can find out more about that and the book and all of the other work that she's doing at her website, which is AlexiaVernon, uh, doc, yes, alexiavernon.com, alexiavernon.com. And I want to thank each of you for being with us today. If you have a few minutes, please go to 1150kknw.com and click on the words 2018 Listener Survey near the top of the page, and uh, you'll find... Everything you need to know about doing the survey up there. Uh, I got to run, so we'll see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong.
3: Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicky's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live live.net That's conversationslive.net today